if I was Mark Zuckerberg's wife, I'd be sort of tapping him on the shoulder and saying, you know, Mark, darling, I'm not, not sure about this whole Instagram <laughs> kids thing. Uh, and, you know, maybe the glasses as well, but it appears that nobody's telling him those things. Hey there, listener, and welcome to the 18th episode of the Metacast Roundtables. I'm your host, Nico, and today I'm joined by Mika Aonen, Matej Lancharic, and David Amor. Today's topics will be the new game creation and marketability testing. We'll talk a bit about uh, Mika's new game. Then the second topic is Honor of Kings breaks $10 billion in lifetime revenue. And then topic three is uh, Facebook and all the messes and absolute yeah, problems that it's creating uh, <laughs> over the past couple of weeks. Um, and as today's bonus segment, we're doing a round of bold predictions about the mobile gaming space. Final points of the intro is make sure to join our Discord and subscribe to our bi-weekly newsletter. Actually, I, have to, I, I had to look up what bi-weekly meant, and it's actually both like twice per week and once every two weeks. That's mm -hmm. not helpful. Yeah, and so our newsletter is actually two times per week, so you got some some solid, you know, regular content in, in your email inbox. Uh, you can find the link for all of that in the description. All right, so uh, what's new, guys? Let's talk about Mika first, because David and, and, and Matej, you were there last week, so yeah, true. Not, not much new there. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, thanks for asking. Uh, glad to be here, as always. You, you know, I got to go to a wedding, um, and I've forgotten we, I haven't done things like that in forever. Ooh. I enjoy those things, getting together with people, dancing, having a beer, those kind of things. So mm. it was nice to get back to that. Yeah, I also went for a dinner for uh, like the longest time since I did that. And like at first, like it, it even felt like it was something forbidden, even though like it's, it's infinite, <laughs> it's already okay. But because I hadn't done it for so, such a long time, it felt like some forbidden thing. <laughs> it was yeah. just a dinner though, like normal dinner. Yeah. Uh, I remember like watching TV series and seeing people like on TV or, or in a movie without masks on the street. And I was like, it feels weird. And then I was yeah. like, yeah, this it's not supposed to be that way, actually. Yeah, that's, the, that's the same thing my wife always says. Oh, wh why they're not wearing masks? Come on. Like, hey, you know, it's it's uh, it's in the TV. Oh, shit. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um, a final piece of news from my side, something I'm very excited about. So. I've already said this a few episodes ago, but I'm a huge fan of uh, League of Legends esports. So I used to play this game like five plus years ago. I haven't really? played it since, uh, but I have been following the esports scene ever since. And so uh, yesterday, the first world championship playing stage matches began. Uh, and it's been, uh, I'm super excited. Mm. I really enjoy that stuff. Uh, which mm. position did you play, by the way, Nico? When you played, uh, I, I was I was like a top laner, but I mean top lane, like, okay, super average. Like I, I didn't go past gold. Like I couldn't get there. Um, Mobas are are not my type of game. Uh, I was really bad at it. And I think you have to dedicate your life to them if you're going to be up at that kind of level. Is that right? Yeah, it's really crazy. Uh -huh. Yeah, or well, uh, be, be from the the other part of the world. Yeah, exactly. China. Or you're, you're Asian, Asia. and also yeah. like yeah. the moment you turn 24, you're basically a boomer and. Uh, <laughs> It's <laughs> just too old to be competitive in that game. It's really crazy. Um, all right. Um, yeah, let's let's dive in. Let's start. So um, let's first topic, new game creation and marketability testing. So uh, two weeks ago, I think Mika uh, was on a podcast and he was talking about that. He was launching the second game of Lightheart uh, Entertainment. So we thought um, yeah, it could lead to an interesting 
conversation about best practices and marketability testing. So Mika, can you start us off by giving us a bit of a background behind you know, the current situation of, of Lightheart and, and uh, what you're planning? Yeah, and I'm, I'm actually quite excited, but launching is maybe a little bit of an overstatement. I would yeah, say I we're, wanted still, to we're ask, still, we're still working launch? on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're working on it. Yeah. So, but but uh, I hope uh, I hope we we'll get, we'll get it out. But like I I I'm not going to sell a date in this podcast. Uh, well, maybe maybe you should in the bold predictions. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe 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 we'll try it, try it there. Uh, but yeah, so actually like. We don't have a lot of structure at Lightheart, but the kind of one structure that we do have is uh, how we make decisions on new games. And um, we actually have a lightweight process for it that we've, seen, we've used that since the start of the company, uh, even back when we were like six people. And it's basically designed to help the game team make quality decisions on new games. And um, yeah, so I guess, first of all, the team makes all the new decisions, all the decisions regarding the game, um, no matter what the stage of the game is. But obviously, the team is a group of people. So, mm-hmm. for instance, in this this case, uh, for Lighthearts Game Two, this team would be me, a designer, and a developer. So we're a team of three. Um, and how would we start it off like a new game? Um, actually, we're quite okay with starting with an open canvas. Um, the first deliverable is what we would call a functional spec or a functional specification. So the functional spec outlines the core gameplay. Uh, anyone can actually do this. It doesn't even have to be anyone from the game team. Uh, anyone in the company can do this. It's it's basically a very short design document. But usually it tends to be uh, people that have a designer background because they tend to be better at designing things. Um, and uh, some, a question, yeah. Mika, can that core gameplay be from any genre? Or uh, do you have like a more narrow? Uh, it can be from any genre. I think what we'd like to do in prototyping stage is like keep it intentionally quite open. Uh, sometimes you might not believe in something, and then maybe you find something, and it turns out to be something totally different, and you kind of take this journey to find the fun. So I believe that there's like an infinite amount of games out there for us to discover. And like we designed the process so that we uh, maximize our chances to discover these fun games. Okay, uh, but that's a good question. Question is as well like wait 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 wait. I think like <laughs> you you skipped one one step. Like, how do you come up with the the ideas? Like, what kind of research do you actually do beforehand? Yeah. So I mean, sometimes we may have vague concepts and ideas before we make the functional spec, right? Say, like, I mean, I want to make a game on mobile that feels like Grand Theft Auto. Mm. This is, like, actually a long-time high concept that I've had. And uh, But even then, I mean, before we would write any code, we would need to turn that into a functional spec. Because, mm. uh, let's say, the four of us imagine that game, Grand Theft Auto Mobile, uh, we may all think it's a good idea, but it's also li- actually also for entirely different games. So maybe I imagine, like, a top-down... GTA with mobile sessioning because I'm like a boring person and maybe Mate <laughs> imagined something like a GTA online and maybe David was thinking like this like story driven open world 3D game uh, so so you can start prototyping with, with that vague idea but, mm-hmm. uh, but that could be like one of the, the inspirations for the functional spec and indeed like we're still a small company so, so everyone can contribute those ideas 
um, we have like there's me and there's a one other kind of a product person. So I guess us two are typically the ones that would look at the market and then maybe like provide the ideas based on market. So so I don't think there's a need to do that super systematically because like like I said we're in on a journey to discover these fun games mm. rather than uh, make something that is like we are now going to make this MOBA game that will be geared towards 16 to 25 year olds yeah, so, yeah, so yeah, like yeah. like to to avoid that type of thing uh, but obviously it's not like black or white at, uh, at all this is like a one one way of doing it uh, mm. but uh, but yeah that's kind of how how we how we figured it out and yeah the functional spec basically it's it's, it's very concrete so so how does the controls work uh, what does the core scene look like? Uh, how does the camera work? Uh, very bread and butter game design stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we were at the prototyping phase, uh, we actually want to make many of these. So typically, let's say we dedicate a couple of months for prototyping, trying to like find the fun, basically. Uh, ideally, I think we'd have like a dozen plus functional specs and a little bit less digital prototypes made of those. So 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 so, we we're very focused on on the core gameplay at that stage, and uh, it's kind of okay to abandon the prototype at any stage if you no longer believe in it, because like, uh, that's kind of the idea. Um, and uh, yeah, that's actually like the start of the process, basically, uh, mm. because then 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 we kind of get to the part. I think Mate was kind of already getting there, like like, but why? Don't you have any filter like like what is yeah. this uh, hippie hippie game company like <laughs> that 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 doesn't make any sense. At this point, we we have like a filter, and we basically um, basically the game team asks themselves and everyone else that's working on games at Lightheart five questions, uh, the same questions for 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 all of these. And uh, I mean, so far we've used the same questions always. The first question question is: Is the game fun? Uh, is, it, is, it, is it fun to play? So your totally subjective assessment uh, whether you found the mm-hmm. gameplay of the prototype fun or not. Uh, the second is: uh, Does the gameplay explain itself I- in five seconds? So basically, like if you would see an advertisement of of this cake of this game uh, that features the core gameplay, uh, would you like? look at it, understand what it is, and maybe it would even look fun to you and you would click on the ad and install it. And third, uh, can we use a proven progression system uh, from another game for this game? So, I mean, we want our players to play our games for a long time, which kind of sets Lightheart apart from uh, uh, hyper-casual studios. And I guess hyper-casual studios are also going that route, so uh, to be fair. Um, and this is kind of where the intersection of fun core gameplay and uh, good progression systems come in. Uh, but uh, since we are already trying to innovate in the in the core gameplay space, we try to kind of limit it a little bit so we don't innovate that much in the progression systems part. Uh, because it's kind of hard and you usually make mistakes when you try to do that. And the players don't even care about your progression systems as long as they work. So just take something that works. Uh, so, so that kind of like uh, filters that part. And then the fourth question is, uh, can we ship it in three months? And that's kind of uh, ambitious, right? But, uh, but uh, it, it doesn't need to be the full, full game. Uh, 
it needs to be enough to ship it to the App Store and Google Play, uh, do some ad creatives for it, and basically measure your uh, marketing funnel and up to day one, maximum day three retention. So that's basically like our, our marketability test. Uh, we just try to make the whole game before we do the test, but we try to make the game fast enough so we don't uh, spend a lot of money and time on it. And finally, it's the game team that's making this. So like, do you see yourself working on this game? Is it something that you think you are good at and you're excited and, and, uh, and, and you can actually make this game great? And uh, at this point, like, we have a meeting, we go through these questions for, for all of the prototypes we have on the shortlist. And uh, like any no or I don't know answers to these questions is then uh, worth a discussion. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, we also have like a stack rank system that we then like put these in order and, uh, and figure out w- which, which game concept gets the most kind of popularity vote, I guess. But ultimately, it's still the game team that makes the decision. But this is like uh, data points from other experts in the company that they can take into account. That's kind of kind mm. of it. I, I guess I guess one thing worth mentioning is like uh, that like at that point maybe the game team would like to set themselves a date. Like okay, we will have this MVP MVP ready uh, in the App Store in the Google Play Store in about three months, and then just start start working on it and and try to get there and once we have that we we measure the the initial marketability uh so final conversion ipm CP, CP, initial CP, cpis uh, uh, those types of things as well as uh, uh, early retention it seems uh so do you make the game before you get a sense of marketability that seems a bit late to me yes we do it nice. um but they Let's say that Mika would come to you and say, Matei, we make these amazing games, but no one plays them. What would you do if, if you were like to, to, to help Mika? Or what would you advise him? Honestly, I think, well, I would maybe use the same, same process because, well, if, if you are making the game that is easy to and easy and fast to make, well, easy. Well, I'm the UA manager. Everything is easy for me except <laughs> the UA. So... <laughs> Uh, if it's really fast to make, then uh, this would make definitely more sense than doing marketability tests because you have the you have the game, you have the MVP in the store, and you are measuring the marketing funnel as as it is. If you are making the marketability tests, um, it's usually more for uh, like different genres. Let's say the games that are uh, well that need like six months to make, and you need to make the decisions well to save those <laughs> those six months. So in this case, yeah, it's, it definitely makes sense. And, uh, and I would uh, maybe try to do some tests in terms of figuring out what kind of visual style should the, the game has. But that's, that's basically it. And that can be, well, you know, if you have the core gameplay, then the visuals can be changed easily, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a good point. Like, actually, one thing that I was interested in hearing about you when, like, we were preparing for this yeah. uh, is, like, uh, like, what would you change in that process now that I kind of g- gave you the context? Yeah. And, and is, is there some, some things that, like, uh, that I could actually test without it, you know, making it actually slower rather than faster? Because, like, I, I, I agree with you that it's, like, a trade-off between, like, how long you're going to be in production for your initial game. Um, 
Yeah, and and with the with the MVP, you will get uh, the cost per install. Well, the real cost per install, not like with marketability test when uh, you are using the the website uh, traffic for the let's say the the fake store pages, and you are looking only on the or only at the the click through rates and trying to f- somehow calculate the CPIs from from it. Which is not real because well you're using different optimizations and it's well yada yada yada. So uh, this would make more definitely more more sense because it's real and then you know what's uh, what what CPIs you are going to get as well. But and you know if you then see after all these questions are asked and then then you see the CPIs and you see well not the the number you wanted to see then what what do you do then? Uh, I guess we then kill it and do something else. Okay. Uh, I mean, depending on the on the on the result, I guess. Um, I, isn't three months a long time to wait for that number? Why wouldn't you? I take Matei's point that it's not a completely accurate test if you're doing marketability tests with fake ads and fake uh, app stores, but it will tell you something. It probably tells you if you're nearer one dollar or five dollars or ten dollars in terms of CPI. Isn't that an easy exercise you could do sooner? That's what I would change. It's a double-edged sword, I think. Um, in an ideal world, maybe you're right. Uh, what typically happens, that I've, I've seen that happens often, is that then you have a game team that is waiting for a result and not working on the game. And uh, the game team can't, can't proceed with their game because they're waiting for like a result from some research. And, and then maybe after that like result, they already change something that makes the... Uh, whole test not super relevant at all. So, so, mm. so kind of like I guess where where I'm going is that like we try to minimize the time for the specific learning of getting a game out and like with the with the full marketing funnel. Um, and uh, I I'm actually I don't actually want to put any extra distractions there. So, so it's like like we make the better best game we can in two months and that that that's it. You see, David, it's 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 getting from three months to two months uh, based on our discussion. So now we know they will shift the game <laughs> in one month, and then you know that's worth. Uh, it's worth coming fighting. down. <laughs> yeah, actually, I know. think like like for Mr. for Mr. Autofire, I was disappointed that we actually made the first launch too big. So so we had a lot of stuff. We had like three weapons, two worlds, mm-hmm. and like then we put it out, and I was like, we actually could have done with much less. So. Uh, maybe for the next game, we'll actually build a little bit less. Um, I guess a, also that process that you describes assume that you can get to MVP in two or three months, whatever your time is. If you're, there's, there's, you would say the majority of games on the App Store, you would not be able to get to an MVP in three months. It would take longer because you're trying to build something more complex. And uh, the further you go on, there's a couple of problems. One is sunk cost, uh, sunk cost fallacy, where the team have so committed now, spent so much time, love, energy, that they've got to continue. Another is uh, that uh, just just having gone that far, it's just a long time to wait, I suppose is my point. So is it not the case that those would suit a hyper-casual or hybrid-casual or whatever you're calling Yeah, I mean, for sure. for sure our process is designed to... Uh, for for us to make like a specific types of games where we market the game with the core gameplay, 
And, is it is uh, it the hypercore? Yeah. Is uh, do I it's hypercore? That's what I ah, call it. Ah yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wait, yeah. I heard hybrid casual somewhere. I don't remember exactly yeah. from who, but, but it's the other you guy. Remember, forget the other guy. guy. Okay. If you remember, Nico, I think Mika mentioned it on the first podcast he was he was on. It's like yeah, well, we need to make uh, the acronyms for ourselves or the the name for ourselves, uh, and uh, Manu would go crazy if if he heard that. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like like you you, you cannot be a game startup unless you make up your own terms for whatever you build yeah okay that's it. okay <laughs> and what uh you know what proportion of games do you start compared with how many are successful can you say anything about that we're a very young company so like uh i guess the sample will be low uh so far we've actually launched in the app store just one game so the success rate is 100 percent <laughs> that yeah that's that's a very good number yeah i wouldn't say that that's a representative <laughs> sample for all the future <laughs> games that we do uh but obviously like in terms of like how many ideas how many functional specifications and how many prototypes we've done it's like a different number we do have i think dozens of prototypes already like actual digital uh prototypes that have a functioning gameplay my, I, I look back on games that I've worked on in the past compared with games that I've released, and it's about 20 to 1, like 5% of games that we thought up as an idea actually made it to, actually, that we were able to grow. So not that we were able to release the ones that we could grow. Mm. So it was a pretty barbaric funnel there in terms of games that have been thought up to games that actually... Yeah, yeah and I, I, I don't think we... We don't have a big ego about it that we think that every game we do will be a successful game. That's kind of ridiculous. The, the, the implication there... <laughs> is that my ideas suck that's what you're saying Mika. <laughs> yeah i actually like i actually start with that always like why does this idea suck and then okay. when i've thought about it for a couple of months and i haven't come up with why it, it doesn't like why, why it sucks then then we build maybe maybe start building something along that lines so okay. so yeah I, I think like that but but like uh, uh what you were say, saying about um like uh Wait a minute, I lost my train of thought here. I guess we can cut this in, in, in post-production. We can. Keep it, keep it I in. might. Depends how nice you are to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what was it that you were saying, David, before the... A 20 to 20, 1 ratio. 20 to 1. Yeah, I said 20 to 1. You told me my yeah. ideas suck. Um, and yeah. then <laughs> something else happened. I don't know. Yeah. You were talking I, I about forgot. the fact that you, you yeah, use a okay. test that says, does it still suck? And if it's, you don't think it sucks two months later, you start making it. Those are the three things I remember. Yeah, okay. yeah, I, I forgot it, but it's not important. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we should, I'd, I'd love to hear what Matei thinks because he's helped many companies get their games through Ooh. that early stage, that soft launch, that, Ooh. you know, can we grow this game? And I saw your, I'm not, I'm not deliberately pimping your article, but I was, I was reading it. It's the sort of thing that I would charge money for if I was doing consultancy and you've put it all out there for free. Well, you know, because I still believe the uh, sharing knowledge and experience is really important. And, uh, you know, we're still living in the in the gaming uh, industry where a lot of developers are able to share what they see. And not only on these like marketability tests or the articles I share, but also like, you know, when it comes to iOS 14 campaigns and setup and everything, because, well, we are in this together. So why not to share this? It's always good for uh, 
uh, for developers. If if you say uh, you know it's uh, it's a good article, then it, that's uh, that's all I need. <laughs> so um, <laughs> you can find Mate on lancharich.me. And also, good luck spelling that. But yeah, uh, yeah you probably will be able to find him somewhere. <laughs> uh, yeah. What are your? Uh, do you want to highlight some things from that article that you think are important? It's a it's super super long article, but I think um, that's what, like why I asked about the the homework before. It's always uh, it's good to know uh, what the audience uh, we are building the game for, uh, because well, that uh, obviously impacts all the. All the things you are putting in, so that's that's the first thing. And then, uh, well, also like depends on the genre you are making the game uh, for. So if you're, you know, making a game that's gonna take six months, as I said, it's uh, well, this is definitely something that can save you a lot of money. And uh, and it's always better to make the decision, decisions made uh, based on the on the data and not not on the assumptions or like the discussion. Like, hey, well, I think this is going to be better. Well, yeah, sure. <laughs> Thank you very much. And you know, I'm the producer, so I'm right. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. uh, that, that happened so many times before. <laughs> yeah, out of interest, Matei, like like let's say like I I would um like incorporate or we would incorporate like a the most lightweight marketability testing possible. Like upfront, basically, like yeah. what David said. Like, why wouldn't you just test it immediately instead of actually building the game? What would that most lightweight marketability test be like? Well, you said uh, you're building the the game and asking the question if it's uh, actually if you can tell what the game is about in first five seconds. So there you go. That's the creative you have. And uh, let's uh, you know put a lot of different visual designs into it and see what exactly like are which visual design is actually performing the best and then like that there's the trend that you can you can take into the into then the the production so would you actually produce like a short 30 second video maybe even, yeah, three, even three different takes like yep. a, yeah 50 i guess 10 to 15 second video based on like different uh different uh yeah, visual Creative design. Yeah, 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 visual yeah, yeah. Yep. Exactly, and then measure the CTR and see. Okay, so, so this realistic style is performing super well. Yeah, in uh, well, the cartoon is not that much with this type of gameplay. Let's uh, let's try to to make that happen, and that can that can you know uh, very impact uh, the the C initial CPIs you will see in the with uh, MVP. How much like uh, I have another question actually because I find this quite interesting. Um, how much do you think there's a risk in, I mean, because obviously you're going to run it to, with a small sample. Uh, so, 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 so what sample size would you, would you be comfortable with? And would you expect that, like, let's say it's like 2.2 CTR and 2.5 CTR for, for, for two different variants? Yeah, I'm always uh, Do you know that it'll to... scale like that or, yeah. or, or is it just like, it, 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 it's, it's a signal, but you need to take it like with a grain of salt? It's yeah, it's it's a signal you always need to take it with a grain of salt. But uh, I'm always trying to see or or get uh, very different um, CTRs. So if we if we are seeing three different visual styles with 2.2, 2.3, and 2.5 CTR, well, it doesn't make sense or doesn't it doesn't matter like which you use. It's gonna take it's gonna be the same results. So that's the first thing. And second thing, um, when looking at the data, at least like 1,000 clicks across like a couple of days, it's uh, something I used and um, yield pretty 
decent results and statistically statistically significant results. So I would aim there, but definitely running more over like a couple of days, weekend and weekdays as well. And uh, yeah, that's it. It's so cheap. It's so useful yeah. to get a thousand, ten thousand. Well, if you've got a thousand clicks, that sort of suggests that you've got hundred thousand people looking at your ad and making a decision. That's such an enormous focus group, and you're asking them to click on something or not clicking on something. Yep. It's uh, so useful. And as Matei says, when I've done that in the past, it's not like one is close to the other. One is way, you know, five yep. times more. Yeah, <laughs> five times the clicks than another one. There isn't to say that it will monetize better. You can't really tell that, but. The first barrier, the first but the funnel is do people even click on the game? Yeah, I, I think it makes sense. Think and makes and sense. if you've got a five times, often the other thing is, and I was that guy that Matthias describe, describes <laughs> with the producer coming in and saying, you know, I think it should be this. They should all wear hats because hats <laughs> are cool. And then it turns out it's quite a humbling experience because I, I was surprised at just how wrong I was how many of the times. And it's, you know, evidently I'm not the target market for the game. Yeah. Or, you know, I certainly can't be the whole target market. So for me to try and second guess what the audience is going to respond to is such a bad idea. Um, it's always an eye-opener. So Quite often it's the result that people don't want to hear. That's the only thing, but it's, it's, the, it's the honest answer. Yeah, I think, I, I, like, I think we would be very open about ru running that. Uh, the only thing is, you know, that because we're building these things fast, so usually we don't do different takes. We try yeah. to funnel on a one take and just like do that the best of our ability. So the question for us is that do we want to take the time to actually explore mm -hmm. three different uh, visual directions yeah. enough that we can actually build those ad creatives? Uh, no, but you if, can. If, if, yeah, if if we do that, then 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 it you why why wouldn't you run it right? It's it's kind of free data, almost free data. In practice, you steal other people's art assets in order to do that art. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, that's nothing I or Matei would ever do, but uh, <laughs> hypothetically, you can. You, there's no harm in using it. Well, there is harm, but uh, <laughs> you could use yeah. other people's artwork that you think is representative of the game that you would build so that you don't have to tie your art team up in knots building games that look different. Yeah, and actually, you can do that with the with the uh, Unity Asset Store. That's true. Or that's equivalent that's with, with, without actually uh, breaking any laws. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, Amika, I have, I have one final question for you. So you described the whole creative process from you know start to launch of your uh, your new game. Um, I think I missed something quite important. So at what point do you start including all of the NFTs and, and the crypto stuff? <laughs> I mean, like like uh, we we can we can talk about the terms after after the this recording, Nico. I, I, I will I will give you a really good deal. <laughs> so I can get in and then start chilling it here. Perfect. <laughs> I like that. All right. Awesome. That was uh, super interesting, guys. Th thanks for that. Um, and uh, I know we, we used like CTR and CPI. And actually, I feel guilty because I start understanding that stuff now. So I'm not stopping you to explain. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I um, wanted to ask if you know what IPM means because that's always uh, the tricky one. Yeah. Actually, don't know. It's like impressions per mil or something, or installs uh, per mil. Yeah, installs per mil. Yeah, yeah fair. Okay. There you go. Yeah. You know more than you think you do, Nico. There's a career for you in the in the mobile games industry yet, if you need it. Yeah. <laughs> no thanks. I found my I found my side. I'm okay. uh, I'm on the dark side, you know, the crypto space. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's let's continue on to our next topic, which is uh, well, we stay in the mobile space, but now we're talking about. Uh, 
and I, it, it's not personal to me, Cap. Now we're talking about successful games. So you have uh, <laughs> <laughs> Honor of Kings breaks the $10 billion in lifetime revenue. So uh, the, the game, Honor of Kings, published by Tencent, is the first mobile game to reach $10 billion in player spending since it launched, its launch in 2015. And so according to Sensor Tower, the title has generated more than $2 billion in 2021 alone. And with that, it's well ahead of the second most popular MOBA title, Supercell's Brawl Stars, who made uh, $320 million this year. Um, and so Honor of Kings is a MOBA, or a multiplayer online battle arena, and it's basically a mobile copy of League of Legends, um, which is actually it's also a game by Tencent. Um, and it has champions that are based on Chinese historical characters, um, and also the gameplay is, is much simplified to, to play on the mobile uh, device. And so the game is free to play and lets players spend money in for cosmetics or uh, speeding up advancements to the next level. So um, yeah, mobile MOBAs in total are making $300 million a month in revenue, um, which is uh, pretty high. And their average monthly revenue rose 43% year over year. And so my question to you guys is, first question, why are MOBAs on, on mobile so popular? I used to play League of Legends. And if you had told me that people would play the same game, on a mobile phone, I would have told you that told you that you're you're tripping because uh, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, so yeah, what do you guys think? Well, is your point that it's not very usable on mobile and you would yeah. prefer to play it on PC? I mean, I had so much trouble with freaking mm. mouse and keyboard. Like, how can it people even play it on the phone? That's that's I guess where I came from. Well, it's designed for mobile, and <laughs> quite, you know you can make some accommodation. I'd agree that it suits a bigger screen with a keyboard and mouse, but you can accommodate that and. Yeah. I, presumably some of the audience, and I'm going to show my naivety here, but presumably a lot of that audience don't have a PC that they could play it with, even if they wanted to. So if that's the way they get to play it, then that's the play that, way that they will play it, right? And it's a huge Chinese audience that's uh, happy to spend money in it. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I think it's noteworthy that actually, I don't know how big a chunk, 90%, 80% of that revenue is actually uh, Arena of Valor. Is it correct? Is it? Mm, I don't think so. I think um, so. Arena of Valor is the Western version, right? I mean, like Honor and Kings and Arena of Valor combined. Most of the revenue is from from that game and from China. Am I correct? Um, yes. So from the data that I saw, Arena of Valor was not as um, popular as Honor of Kings, and so most of the money was by Honor of Kings, which is the Chinese version. So you're right. Yeah, yeah but it's the same game, different name. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, correct. So, yeah. so yeah, I think that's noteworthy that it's actually one game in one one market. Admittedly, it's a big game in a big market, but yeah. but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, that kind of the, to to understand the whole picture is good to understand it that most yeah. of that three hundred million a month is actually uh, honor of kings in China. Uh, but I guess like your original question was like, why are they so popular? Yeah, uh, I think. One of the best sources of retention is is mastery, uh, the feeling mm -hmm. that you can get better at something. Like maybe it's chess, maybe it's painting, or or maybe it's honor of kings. And the MOBA formula nice. with kind of its seemingly endless depth, uh, I think it kind of nails this. Uh, mm -hmm. You can always see new ways to improve, uh, which means that you will never feel that the game is boring. So I, I think that's kind of what what MOBA has going for it in terms mm -hmm. of uh, the genre. What, um, maybe some of this mass is available, how, how many players does it have and 
any sense of what that 10 billion turns into if you divide it by the quantity of people playing? I mean, are people spending tens or hundreds or thousands on this game per person? Is that data available? The uh, I don't know if you guys know an exact number, but what I saw floating around was between like $1 and $5 per month per player on average. Yeah, so I mean, it's a huge number, but uh, it's as compelling for a lot of people as Netflix that people spend mm. more on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not, it's not a crazy number. It's just a game that resonates with people, probably for the reasons Mika says. There's some fantasy elements as well, I would think, a bit of escapism in that kind of game and uh, opportunity to be yourself or and join a team. So to me, it's just a, uh, a compelling game that people love, that they can play on their phone in a part of the world where, with the largest quantity of people. Simple. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I didn't think of that. Then I would have a $10 billion game. I mean, <laughs> I'm sort of boiling it down, but I mean, I think that's how it can come about, right? It's a compelling game played by billions, billions of people. Yeah, yeah it's, like, it's like one of my, uh, my, my friend's kids says that, why go to school? Because you could just invent Angry Birds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I guess, uh, why is this popular? I think uh, it's a what, like mix of action and, and strategy genre, right? And... Uh, for action games, uh, I think they are giving some players some kind of like challenge, which is here as well. And uh, when players trying to overcome these these challenges, well, it feels like a great achievement and you know the master you you mentioned. And also the strategy element here is is really important when you know thinking about the battle and uh, always the choices you make and how that influences the whole gameplay. Mm-hmm. And and how come there's such a big difference between, uh, as Mika said, between the success of the just Honor of Kings, so the Chinese version, and the Western version? What do you think that is? I think there's significant differences in the game, uh, the meta games in specific. Um, I didn't play the Chinese version of it myself for obvious reasons, but I think uh, at some at some point I had a discussion with the Chinese colleague. And 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 if I got it right, I think the Chinese version has a lot of uh, social stuff. You can see your ranking, and and it kind kind of became a phenomenon. So so not not only is there more things you can spend money in the game, but also it's like this cultural phenomenon. And there's regional leaderboards, and and like if if uh, it, there was a Helsinki equivalent, I would know like how many. Eth- player I am in my region of Helsinki, for example. So there's a lot of those like so- social uh, mechanics that, that, that make you want to compete and spend in the, in, the, in the Chinese version. And they stripped down all, m- many of those in, in, the, in the Western version. And also like it didn't become the same kind of phenomenon that, that the Honor of Kings did in China. Mm-hmm. So would there be, do you know, is there like a, like a WeChat integration where you can see your rank compared to your WeChat contacts or something? I think there's something like that, but, but it, it's, yeah. it's not my expertise, so I don't know the details. I think actually that would make a lot of sense, like, because uh, I, I was playing League of Legends and I'm sure that I had friends, you know, on Facebook that also played it, but I never knew. Um, and if I knew, like, I had pushed myself harder to, you know, be, be above them in rank, probably. Uh, that's just how, how unhealthily competitive I am. Um, yeah, talking about MOBAs, do you um, like one of the recent you know games that came out is Pokemon Unite? What are your your thoughts on on that game? Oh, I'm playing, but only, are you playing? only yeah, only because it's it's a Pokemon IP. I wouldn't mm. care. 
uh, if it's uh, if it's a different IP. I just you know lo- love Pokemon. Uh, so, uh, uh, but I'm still not sure if this is going to the, be my like game of of the day and everyday routine. Probably not so much. It requires a lot of attention from my side uh, in these ten minutes battles or well, five minutes battles, but. Uh, <sighs> Five five minutes of attention. So yeah. hard, man. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Does it? Is it a Nintendo game or is it a Pokemon game? I mean, Nintendo haven't had too much for the track record of Nintendo in mobile space hasn't been great. Does it? How does it feel to you, Matei? I guess it's published by Pokemon Company. Yeah, Pokemon so, Company. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's interesting to me. Was it ten billion that we were talking about? A mobile that's done done ten billion about eight years ago. Someone said, "I think in our lifetime we're going to see a one billion dollar game." Uh-huh. And here we are. What eight years later, doing a ten billion dollar game? Ten billion dollar is lifetime. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah correct. But oh, I, man, I mean, I they did two billion over like eight months. So. Yeah, but you know, COVID accelerated that growth as well. Oh, it's COVID. Oh, well, of course they got yes. to two billion billion in eight months. <laughs> of course. Anybody could do that. Exactly. Yeah, well, there they, you go. But I mean, I think, I think Pokemon Unite got off at least a good start, uh, especially considering how hard it is kind of to penetrate the mobile market. Uh, mm. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of like, kind of glad for the uh, game industry that there's a new MOBA um, around. And uh, that has some new mechanics as well. Like you're actually catching Pokemon, not not last hitting minions. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, so th- this was going to be one of my questions. Like, how much um, innovation do you see still possible in the MOBA space? I mean, like I I I, I was just thinking, like, is Brawl Stars a MOBA? Yeah, that's uh, very questionable. That discussion. Yeah, that's yeah. Very can, we, can we have that discussion? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Mate? Well. <sighs> Well, it fits the well the description I I shared uh, previously, but still, definitely a different uh, genre. I would say it's it's a different genre than than MOBA. It's uh, I've seen a lot of uh, discussions about this question as well. It's like, well, how how you can actually define this as a MOBA? Definitely, I think it's suited for a different audience rather than like um, Honor of Kings. But it's just my assumption. It's also, yeah. you know, the, the visual style is, again, slightly different from what I would expect from MOBA as well. Yeah, I guess it's like strictly looking at what the acronym t- stands for. It is a MOBA, uh, multiplayer online battle arena. Uh, yeah. That is MOBA. But I can see if you're like a very um, into Dota 2 and you're like a last hitting enthusiast with full understanding of, of creep stacking, <laughs> then... It's definitely not a MOBA. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but I think I think there's been innovation, right? I mean, arguably you could say that Brawl Stars innovated, um, and uh, Honor of Kings or Arena of Valor definitely innovated there, uh, just in the control scheme um, to to bring it on mobile. Um, and Pokemon Unite, I think, is also innovation. Uh, innovation doesn't mean that you have to you know invent everything from scratch. Mm. It, it, to me, it means that you took something that works and changed it a little bit. Yeah, that's fair. Um, final question on this. Do you think that, uh, so we just talked about League of, uh, no, Honor of Kings success, mainly China. Um, how will this be influenced by the, like the, the clampdown of the Chinese government on games? <laughs> I guess um, 
Is the legislation just limited to children, or is it extended? Sub eighteen, yeah, sub eighteen. Yeah, so I guess my answer would depend on who's playing that game, and I guess most of it is over eighteen, but it's not my area of expertise. Mm. Maybe it's worth a bullet by a year or two, and uh, that his audience doesn't get damaged particularly. But I don't know. It feels like it'd be eighteen to thirty that would play that, but I don't know. Yeah. You know, even even if it's uh, if if we see an impact on on this, it's gonna be I guess a short term, and uh, well, Chinese will find a way how to get back on track. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I think it's more interesting, like if if uh, if the Chinese government really sticks to this thing that uh, anyone under eighteen can't play games more than X hours, or is it three hours, or three a week, hours, or whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever it was. I think the more interesting question is the long-term impact on the Chinese gaming market. Mm. So, so if if they actually like, if that actually happens, uh, will people play games less? I don't know. Yeah. S- speaking as someone with kids that age, they're very creative of working their way around uh, <laughs> uh, things that are put in their way. So, mm. I'd be surprised if there weren't systems available to play anyway, right? Mm-hmm. No, yeah, we discussed this with uh, with Nico on the previous podcast. Mm-hmm. That it, like, mm-hmm. they will find a way how to, you know, use That's the right. ID from your from their father, mother, grandparents, or whoever else, and they will just find a way how to how to play more yeah. than three hours. We've we've all been there. Yeah, we've exactly. all found our way around these limitations. <laughs> exactly. Oh, true. All right. The game. Yeah. Okay, and uh, let's move on to the last topic, which is uh, the Facebook mess. So the initial idea was to talk about Facebook and its commitments of $50 million to a responsible metaverse. But in the meantime, a lot of other shit has happened. So we can, we can you know, do a, do a nice little rant. But so to, to come back to my first, you know, plan to talk about Facebook and it, what it wants to do with the metaverse is, so it's, it's putting its money where its mouth is, and so it's just announced a 20, uh, 50 million funds to build a responsible metaverse. So the company wants to collaborate with policymakers, experts, and industry partners to bring the metaverse to life. It's plans on paying strong attention to the following, economic opportunity, privacy, law, safety, and integrity, yeah. <laughs> um, and equity and inclusion. So, um, I mean, yeah, we can open this up in general, like, but maybe let's first stick to, to this specific thing, like Facebook and the metaverse now, you know, being the good guy. Uh, what do we think on the, about that? We, we know my opinion from last week. <laughs> where I was like, I, no. I tell you Facebook. who I don't want managing the metaverse, and that's Facebook. That's like mm. at the very top of the list. I can't think of any company I trust less. So yeah. the idea that they might be the police or the government or at least in some way influencing those people is not a uh, not a good look for the metaverse i'd say but it's 50 million it's it's big money for facebook that they're putting there exactly <laughs> chump I mean, change chump change we're, we're, like shareholders are going to feel that in their bottom line you know yeah, so right. uh yeah no and, and my question was because i i haven't figured it out my for myself would you rather not have facebook do anything for the metaverse so either they do this or they don't do anything what do you think david I'd sooner they didn't do anything. Leave it okay. alone. Go somewhere else. Now, my concern is they're smart people and they're influential and they have a huge audience. It's just that they seem to be tone deaf. There's so many of their decisions <laughs> that they make where you go, oh, don't, don't make that decision. Why, why would you do that? Why would you do Instagram for kids? 
That's a, evidently not an, a good <laughs> idea. And if I was Mark Zuckerberg's wife, I'd be sort of tapping him on the shoulder saying, you know, Mark, darling, I'm not, not sure about this whole Instagram <laughs> kids thing. Uh, and, you know, maybe the glasses as well. But it appears that nobody's telling him those things. And therefore, you know, even though I think they've got lots of smart people there, the direction they're heading in, they, their actions at least suggest that they don't, uh, they're, they're tone deaf to those kind of things. And that's what would alarm me about Facebook being in any way be involved in policies of the metaverse. Yeah, I agree. I remember you watching this, um, this, this documentary on Netflix about, in general, social media companies. Mm -hmm. And it was this ex-executive of Facebook who said that he didn't allow his kids, who were like 8 and 12 or something, to have a, like, any kind of social network profile until mm -hmm. they were like 16 or 18. And just the fact that like that person worked there. Um, and I think all of the executives there agree. And so the fact that they know that it's bad and still do it shows that they like, shouldn't be trusted. And even with these, you know, 50 million funds, it's... Uh, yeah. Look, Nico, Facebook has really great capabilities of targeting any types of, uh, of audiences. So, you know, you can imagine what kind of data they're um, getting from all the devices out there. So... Uh, you know, the, the, what's frustrating for me is that they have the ability to do it, right? So yeah, they, yeah. For, this, for exactly the same reason, they have the ability to tackle the task that's ahead of them. Mm. The problem that I have is that, that they just won't do a good job of that because there's too many occasions in the past where not just to my, uh, you know, not just me, I think most people would say that, that they, they're not a company that's well trusted and therefore aren't, even if they are able to, they're not the best people to try and set policy around these things. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts, Mika? Yeah, I guess I don't have much much to add. Um, I, I was just already thinking about the other Facebook messes that, that happened. Uh, they're having a rough <laughs> week, haven't they? Yeah, 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 they are. I mean, and this podcast on top of it is going to be very tough for Mark. Yeah, yeah, that, that, <laughs> that, that, that is like the, <laughs> the last nail in the coffin. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Poor, poor him. I'll send yeah. him. I'll send him a nice letter. That's I guess you can take it up with Mark in your next weekly call. Exactly. Yeah, we have a little chat. I don't know. How, I don't really know how that works, but whether or not he—that's that, my my issue—is that it doesn't seem like he's hearing it. It's not getting through that some of these decisions aren't chiming well with the greater public. And sometimes, you know, I read his response to some of the allegations today, and they're sort of reasonable and logical. But he said, apart from anything, he's missing out the point that people just don't feel that way. And so it's all very logical, his responses, but he's not really, he's not spotting the emotion that's there. And sometimes perception is reality. So even if, uh, even if reality is this, what people think is this, so don't react that way. And uh, he, he doesn't seem to get that right. And I don't know if it's about him himself or whether or not it's the C-suite around him or however it works, but um, always the wrong answer. Come on, Mark. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what there is that Facebook could do to uh, like fix the PR mess that they are kind of in. I mean, just like honestly speaking, it, it, it's actually a pretty rough spot. Uh, mm. I think whatever they do or say right now, the optics won't look good. Yeah, they will build yeah. the metaverse and everything bad that happened just vanishes. <laughs> yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that will fix it. But I think that it's uh, the response, which is very defensive and you're wrong is that's not it i'm not a pr person but just to you know to start slamming the the whistleblower i'm pretty sure it's not the way you address problems with whistleblowers right it's to, it's to be a moment of self-reflection and uh, 
let's pause for a moment and here's some things we're going to change or you know we're going to see some policies in the way that kids uh, receive you know, there's there's something that can be done but it's not just slap down the whistleblower and so if you know you had to pick one large corporation that would build the metaverse who would you choose i've got an answer actually for this Go ahead. It's a bit, so um there's a i'm gonna it's gonna move on to blockchain nico just briefly oh, but uh, there's um hedera hashgraph is uh, a, a type of blockchain that uh, is run by corporations so you will see all the logos there intel and microsoft and don't, don't know exactly but it's like a body that's of people that feel they can contribute something to it either resources or information or infrastructure but they also have a system whereby we don't own it and in fact we get voted off after two years so we're not even going to be here in two years hmm. we're going to do our bit and then move on and so it has I don't know how it works in other countries, but in the UK, if you have a charitable organization, then it operates as something you have to, you get voted out automatically, and then it's up to people to be voted back in. And so that mm. means that you don't get, you know, you don't get rot and the same people staying there forever. It sort of ch moves things around by default. And I think that if that's about as close as I've seen as a mechanism where companies can still get involved with this and I'd value the contribution of uh, of those companies like Epic and the, and the like but at the same time not feel like it's going to get owned by them something that's, like that yeah that's interesting still didn't kind of make my mind about uh, who should who should be building this I know mm. you mentioned the, the Ralph Ravkin I think that was his name with the Playboy World Ralph Coster yeah, Ralph yeah. Coster, yeah. Oh. he's a good guy okay there you go yeah, Ralph, yeah. Ralph guy, and then well, I I think what uh, Roblox is uh, maybe in a good position a position to to build mm -hmm. this uh, this thing, perhaps. Yeah, it's uh, quite a responsibility, being the person that builds the metaverse mm. or at least sets the rules. Mm. It's a, it feels like a big job as well, I would imagine. Mm. Yeah. What about Tim Sweeney? Tim yeah. Sweeney, he's sort of. You know, he fights for the little man somewhat while also... But is it, is it Tim yeah. Sweeney just like Facebook, but with better PR? <laughs> oh, I think it's Tencent with uh, Tim Sweeney's PR, yeah. I, I don't yeah. know. I do. It does feel like he's fighting for the smaller guy sometimes, but I don't know. Yeah, maybe... Uh, I, th I think as long as it is in Epic's interest, that's true. I mean, okay. I, I, I'm actually a big fan of Tim Sweeney. He, he's... Mm -hmm. He's so smart that his mouth can't keep up when he's talking. Like that's actually like it, it's it's very impressive, uh, and and he's definitely very smart. But I feel like like he might be a little bit like too much of an epic person to 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 do it. Okay. Mm. Okay. But then still, if it's if it's between Tim Sweeney and Mark Zuckerberg, I think uh, we'll we'd all know who to choose. Yeah, I'd go for Tim in that case. Yeah. yeah. True. Cool. Team Tim. Team Tim. <laughs> There we go. All right, let's um, let's round up this last topic and let's talk. Uh, let's move on to the bonus segment of the day. So, bold predictions about mobile gaming. But they, I'll, I'll let you start. Okay. So, in in this case, uh, based on our discussion, I have two actually. The first bold prediction is about uh, Mika's new game. Uh, you are okay. predicting you are going to to make it until this, the end of this year and launch it. Let's see. <laughs> all right so before the end of the year mika's new game is launched yeah should, should all right be. i like it i like that prediction <laughs> i like it very, it's good very, very good and then i have this, uh, the second one um and it's based uh, on the track record of, of supercell 
oh well not track record but the, the graveyard of all their games they uh, they killed before so my bold prediction would be that Everdale is uh, is actually going to make it to to the global launch um, next year, and it's going to surpass the the Clash of Clans uh, in terms of the revenues. Boom! Nice, nice. that's gold. That's there bold. you go. <laughs> that's cool, David. Oh well, I I struggled this week thinking of bold predictions in mobile space because I'm I'm basically out of it now. So um, I'm going to make a bold prediction, which is Everdale's going to get sunsetted before it gets a global launch. <laughs> nice. I, play, I played that game and um, it did nothing for me. And I like Supercell games. So I was ready to... Re- I spent money. I thought maybe if I spend money, I'll enjoy it more. I still didn't enjoy it more. <laughs> so now I, I feel like a sucker and I've uninstalled it. And so my bold prediction is Mika's going to be wrong. Matei's going to be wrong. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Matei, Matei. <laughs> I was like, you don't even know what Mika's going to yeah, say. Well, that's, that's his bold prediction. Mika is going to be wrong. Uh, yeah, that's actually super bold. Uh, yeah, super. I, I can say anything. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Mika. Uh, my bold prediction is that uh, Pokemon Unite will be the biggest mobile mobile in the West. Ooh. Nice. Wow. Okay. That's cool. So it's it basically going to beat Brawl Stars. Correct. Yes. Which is uh, mobile the... Legends. I think Mobile Legends is actually pretty big. Yeah, Mobile oh, Legends yeah. Bank Bank. Is it in the West? Yeah, it's yeah. the US is the, their biggest uh, okay. uh, country in terms of revenues. Uh, they got like 730 million lifetime, and 109 is actually from US. All right. Cool. Okay. Um, I like those predictions. Those were fun. Um, I especially liked that we'll soon know whether David or Matei were wrong and if one of them were right and if the other one one was right the other one was wrong can't so both, fun. we can't both be right exactly yeah. exactly that's good I like that cool alright that uh, rounds up this episode thank you guys thanks David, Matei and Mika for being here I hope you enjoyed it I had fun thanks for your insights Mika I hope your game comes out before the end of this year and then we can all try it and give you feedback and tell you that you should have done some more marketability testing. <laughs> it's not very good. I want to, uh, b- before we wrap up, I want to say well done, Nico, for getting through the episode without going deep into crypto or NFT yeah. or blockchain. That must have been tough for you. It was, it was very tough. And we all appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think I have to, I'll relapse for next episode. I'm afraid. I don't know. Um, we'll see. Cool. So, uh, yeah, dear listener, thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, feel free to join us if you haven't already in the Discord and uh, sign up to the newsletter for more great stuff. You can find links for that in the description or you can visit navic.co. This was the Metacast and we look forward to speaking to you next week. Cheers.